Well, the Lord's going all the way. <laughs> and we'll be aboard with him. Amen. Praise his wonderful name. I'm sure thankful to be here tonight. And uh, I don't want to ask you if you're happy to be here or you wouldn't be here. So we've come to meet with the Lord Jesus and see what word and what his Holy Spirit will quicken to each of our hearts. Amen. Praise his wonderful name. Greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank Brother Ed Biscoe, pastor, and the other ministers that opening this door and being able to be here with you and minister the word of God. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Our blessed Heavenly Father, we are indeed thankful for your love and your mercy to each one of our lives, how you have come forth in our individual lives, in our walk, when we began walking with you to go all the way, and we are thankful. We are indeed indebted to you, and we love to be that way, just our whole life. What a, what a transfer, what a trade, if we would call it. Our born sin, our committed sins, our unbelief, and all that we have of a hundred years, we give it over to you for eternity. And you're willing to give to us an eternal life with you, and we're just giving up a few years. Lord, may that be indelibly imprinted upon our hearts, our spirits, our souls, that we're going all the way. Blessing the service tonight, each individual. And give to us what each of us would need. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. While you're standing, let's turn together in the scriptures to the second epistle of Paul the Apostle to Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother, Lois, and thy mother, uh, Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. And then in the third chapter of, of the same epistle, verses 15 through 17. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Amen. You may be seated. My title tonight is A Childhood Testimony. <clears throat> 
It's been on my heart for some weeks, and so I, I felt to share it this evening, a childhood's testimony. And my delivery tonight is especially to children. Don't feel bad. Adolescents and older teenagers and parents with young children attending a message church. Or it could be said to children who are raised in the message. So may God have something for each one of us tonight. Amen. Now if you have parents that believe and believe the message, that's good. But as it is said many times from this pulpit, each person, young or old, must have a personal experience and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and be born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm here tonight to tell you that you can, as a child or a teenager... Be filled with the Holy Spirit and never partake of the things of the world or of worldly things, even though you are young. As I said the last time I ministered here, you cannot come to God when you want to. In no way do you have an opportunity to come to God and repent if you just decide you want to. It always has to be by invitation. God is calling you. And I think I have it somewhere later in my notes. But along that same line, when, when you come to church, like the, young, the children and the teenagers and all of us have over the years, and we come to church, then God is calling. The word of God that's preached or the word of God that you've heard on recordings or streamed, if it's the word of God, of the message of the hour, then that's calling you. That's the time. Not next year. Not when you're 14 or when I get out of high school. Or I'll see who I'll marry if I marry. And if I marry well, then maybe I'll serve God. Just so many things like that. You come to God... When you hear the word, when the word is coming, it's pulsating, and you're listening, and you're open, and you're yielded to the Lord, that's the call. Now, if a person walks away from that, and they go into the world, and they live in the world all filth and everything, drinking, smoking, carousing, immorality, and they go out there like that, and then they come back, say, oh, well, now they'll come back and they'll re what happened to all these turndowns all the turndowns that young people and teenagers rejecting the call of God on your life or upon my life if we hear the word and turn away from it then we've turned down God's opportunity to you you don't get it just later if you mess up and and you have a marriage and a divorce and uh, children born out of Wedlock and just on and on. Messes go. One of the meetings that Brother Brandon was having in uh, California, he called for the unsaved to come to the Lord. And some came. And then he called also, he said, are there any backsliders here that would want to come? Quote, I don't say that he will take you back. 
How many times had that person turned the Lord down? So it's, it's just not a, it's not a church or an organizational means that, well, yeah, you'll just come in. Don't count on that. So as God speaks to us as little children and as teenagers, that's him wooing us. That's him making love to us. Come, come to give you eternal life. And that is a very serious moment for our lives. So if you are raised in a message home and attend a message preaching church, then you are being called of God. His words are calling you. There are many Bible examples of childhood experiences and serving God. One is Abel. Okay, I think I got that here. I'm going to say Abel was raised in a Christian home. I'm not sure they knew which was which, but they were raised in a Christian home. Uh, let me find it. I think I put that in here. Cain's Adam and Eve taught him. Let's take a look at that. You know, there was someone when the original sin occurred that was there, Adam and Eve. And they knew what happened. So I'm reading from The Power of God, 1955, Chicago, Illinois message in October. And Brother Bram says, the Bible wasn't written then, speaking back to the Old Testament when Cain and so forth. So if Cain, his brother who sat under the same teaching of father and mother, came down and brought fruit to make the offering. Now, if they were taught Cain and Abel from the parents, they knew what happened in there. So it wasn't Abel getting a revelation direct from God. What was being quickened to Abel was the word, the message of the hour. The way of worship, the way of repentance, and so forth. So it's not each individual God's going to speak to me audibly. And so when it says that it was revealed unto Cain, excuse me, unto Abel, to bring a lamb, he had said, seen mom and dad do that. He had heard what they said also. That these lambs, sheepskins, they might have just kept them for a long time. These are the sheepskins that God, in spirit form, or in a physical form, theophany, came to Adam and Eve, said, where art thou? And this form of Jesus Christ, the tree of life that communed with them every evening, where art thou this evening? And so then he took sheepskins, and killed them and clothed uh, Adam and Eve. And Brother Branham goes on 
He says, but Abel, by revelation, he saw that it wasn't fruits and brought us out of the Garden of Eden. Now he saw that, see, it was revealed to him, quickened to him, as some people still think it was, but it wasn't fruits. It was the blood of his mother who made him mortal or his father. Brother Branham corrects that, or his beloved, the father. So he came and offered the blood of a lamb by divine revelation. No one to tell him anything about it, but he by faith, he seen the Son of God coming and offered a lamb in a figurative form, seeing that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's the truth. God will always testify the truth. Now, if you're here tonight serving the Lord, it's because God revealed it to you. He revealed his word to you, but he had a means of doing it. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word. So any revelation that comes to any man or woman on the face of the earth since Adam and Eve, they've got to hear the truth, and then it's revealed to their heart. Cain was not God's, excuse me, Cain was not God's seed. And so there was no revelation given there. But Abel, he was a seed of God, and so it was revealed to him. He believed. It's that simple. It was believed it. And he, when he was doing, when it actually occurred, what he was believing was all in the past. Cain probably was looking for the serpent. Well, where's that serpent, dad and mom, that you were talking about? You know, that, that serpent that walked on and, and talked and walked and, oh my. And, well, he became a snake. Well, is it at that snake? I can imagine Adam would say, well, I don't know. A lot of snakes God created. But there was a serpent that also became a snake. Became a serpent. So we always want to believe. And we have a wonderful privilege now in this end time of God fulfilling his scriptures and sending a prophet to tie up the loose ends and reveal what God had revealed to him. God revealed to him, William Branham, the seven seals and the word of that. And then he delivered that to us. It's out. And the bride gets it and lives by it. And the denominations get the same sermons. They get the same recordings and they listen to it, but it doesn't quicken anything in them. They don't want that. So then, as Brother Branham is well taught, he said that it's like a trumpet when the prophet comes. It's a trumpet that goes out and it has a message to it. And then it also is heard by those that are not believers. And they reject it. Everybody's hearing it because God, uh, excuse me, Brother Branham said God has to have something to judge the world by. And so it takes the same word that gives you life because you believe. It's quickened to you. It's revealed to you. Flesh and blood, said Jesus. And Jesus was flesh and blood. Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you. If it was Jesus that revealed it, unto Peter, then all the disciples would have had it. Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. 
Hallelujah. He's revealed it to you. He's quickened it to you. Amen. Let's look back here. And look at after Abel, we go on to Moses. And we all know the story of Moses. I'm sure everyone has heard the tape teaching on Moses. They're in the Branham Tabernacle where all the children got up on the platform and were sitting all around just like a nice group, you know. And there they were. And he tells that in-depth story of um, Moses. Someone has said to me over the years, they said, well, do you think it really was that way or just a story? Well, my response is, well, why couldn't it have been just like he said? We don't have to you know, say, well, this, that, and the other. Why not? Um, so Moses, he was raised in the fear of God. He didn't understand it all, and it wasn't all revealed to him, obviously, because he killed a man, thinking, I kill one man, I'm going to deliver these million people here. So it was all in God's plan. Moses was raised, we would say, in the message by his mother teaching him. And then there was David. He didn't go out in the world. He was raised, he was a shepherd boy, taking care of it. So if a person is in the world, and they're of the world, they're just out there, and then they hear the word, and it's quickened to them, and they come in and receive the Lord, praise God. They're receiving the light at the time that God gives it to them and they come in. Amen. So then that's wonderful. But then you take our children. You take you children or teenagers. What about that? You know, week after week and month after month and year after year. That's the invitation to accept and not go to the world. There is no pleasure in God. He's not getting any pleasure of you going out into the world and getting dirty and corrupt and then coming in. That's just carnal thinking. Brother Branham clearly said, I don't say that he will take you back. So that's a bad gamble. That's gambling. You know you're not supposed to gamble, right? And then there was Mary about 16 years old, she went to church. This all happened on, we say on a Sunday, first day of the week, when she met Gabriel. She was out just in her line of duty and going to get some water and do the laundry, you know, and then there's Gabriel. But the day before, she was in church. Where was she? She was in a synagogue. And she was listening to the priest. And about the Old Testament. But she was keeping herself at 16. She was believing all the word. I I don't think that she thought that, oh, I'm going to fulfill that prophecy. She didn't know until Gabriel came. And when Gabriel came, that her eyes, okay, I'm a believer, she said. I'm a believer, and God is doing this. It's the unfolding of the scriptures, and she accepted it. Then there was John Baptist, raised in a a Christian home. 
He did go out later when his parents passed, and then he went out into the wilderness. But he, he wasn't in the world and then got saved some way and then came in. And these were not special men. They had a special mission to do, but God wasn't favoring them in a special way that he's going to bypass you. The same principles apply to our lives. God cares for us. He has a purpose for your life. And then the Apostle John And then there's Timothy of our text. That from his youth, he knew the scriptures. He knew the Bible. As we would say today, we knew the Bible before we heard the message. I venture to say that every one of us here, before we heard this message, we had some background, either of the Bible or testimony, or someone spoke to us about it. You know, just the scriptures. So we came to the message knowing some things about the Bible. There was a God, there was a Moses, and there were disciples, and Jesus died on the cross, and and these things that passed through us and in our ear, and we dealt with that. Every one of us have had that. And maybe you went to a Baptist church during that time, or a Pentecostal church. Somewhere you went to give expression to that amount of light that God had revealed to you. And he was leading you here, and here, and here. He has a way. Now, William Branham did not smoke, drink, or defile himself with women, or by any other means was he defiled. But he did walk in what light that God gave him from his youth. And you can see his pattern as God's dealing with him as a young boy, as a teenager, and dealing with it concerning his parents, and then other people he would get in contact with. God was not revealing it all to him. He was just revealing a little bit at a time, dealing with him as a man that needed to be saved. But my point there is that he walked in what light God was giving him at the time. I don't see anything else within the message saying that he was refusing what God was doing for him and toward him and within him, even though it was far less than he later received in life or that we have now. He was just beginning his walk with the Lord. Now, you are not responsible for all this light when you were back there then. You were responsible for that light that you were walking in. So tonight I'm going to give you uh, this childhood testimony of growing up in a Pentecostal Christian home. And uh, it will be of my background from a, from a child. And maybe it'll help some child or teenager here or a parent. Um, and not going to the world. Raised in a Christian home, I guess since I was 10 days old, I was in a church. And um, a Pentecostal church at that. And by God's grace, since that day, since my bringing up and accepting, I never once in my childhood had have desired to go to the things of the world. Never have I disbelieved any of the scriptures or the preaching, even back in Pentecost. If it was according to the word, I seen, oh yeah, God says that. And... I've applied it to my life. 
Now, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that there are children that become teenagers and that become an adult and they do not go to the things of the world. And they hear the word of God in its fullness today and they receive it. And then they continue on in the further walk with God. So you can be saved at a young age, be filled with God's Holy Spirit, and be sealed in with God for the rest of your natural life and eternally with Him. And my testimony of following Jesus Christ did not begin when I heard this holy message that He spoke through His prophet, Brother Branham, in this end time. My experience of believing in Jesus Christ and His words began when I was a child at home with my parents and attending a Pentecostal church that had holiness standards and preaching the Bible with what light had been given to them at that time. I am sure that most of you have had experiences like that. I can't discredit what God was doing with me then. I was believing the scriptures. The earliest records that I know of of my Andes ancestry dates back to A.D. 1420s in Mesenheim, Germany, showing that the Andes ancestry fathers are all German genes for the last 600 years. And many of them married someone from the Swiss country. As you well know, Swiss is a, a makeup of French and German and so forth. And during the end time and during the end of the Dark Ages before Martin Luther's birth and Reformation ministry. The Andes' religious background was Christian, then Lutheran, then Wesleyan, Mennonite, and Brethren, then Pentecostal, and now the restored word by God's prophet. Amen. The early settlers from Germany and Switzerland moved to Virginia State. I guess it's become a greater state since Ron's from there, right? Near uh, Bealton, Remington, Manassas, and became dairymen there. My great-grandfather there was William Andes and his wife Susanna, who had 12 children, including four sons with one named Enos, my grandfather. They were born again, holiness believers, and raised their children in that manner without smoking, drinking, gambling, dancing, or of such like. It just happened to be my past on that. My grandfather Enos Andes and his wife Julia moved to Conneaut, Ohio, and had four sons, including their son Marvin, my father. And Enos received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the 1920s and attended a Pentecostal church there. My father, Marvin Andes, attended the same Pentecostal church and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in his teenage years. Marvin and his wife, Charlotte, had one son and one daughter. I'm the son. I was born on October the 28th, 1941. I sometimes jokingly say that it was the same day that John Baptist was born because that date comes about six months before Jesus' birth. That's when John was on the scene. And so I was born 40 days before the bombing of Pearl Harbor, starting World War II. 
I was born, and for the first few years, I had rheumatic fever. And the doctor said my heart was bad and I would not live long. But if I did live for a while, I could not play sports or get very strained. Mother and grandmother prayed, and God fully healed me. I've lived till now, played many strenuous sports and track racing and trumpet playing and over 60 years of preaching, so God is our healer. Amen. Amen. And he's your healer. He keeps all of his promises. My parents raised me to reverence the word of God and regularly attended the Assemblies of God uh, church in Conneaut, Ohio. And we attended every service. No excuses for missing. It had to be there. I was in Ohio. My wife was in Pennsylvania. And the, that AG denomination, they, they gave out a little thing that you wore on your, your coat if you had perfect attendance. So, so I had a string of them down. My wife had a string of them down. And I didn't meet her until years later that we attended church faithfully. I wanted to go to every service. I wasn't made to go. I wanted to go. One time I went with my parents over to Virginia area. We came down from New England states through New York and Washington, D.C. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, we visited with the relatives out there. And they said, well, we got to get back home. And it was Sunday morning. Wow. And so we're not going to be able to stop for church. <laughs> well, I had to go to church. So we stopped at some little church along the way and stopped there. You see, that's a child. That's a child that wants to do that. Not the things of the world. I want to serve God. I want to go where they're singing about Jesus. Brother Branham preferred to have church and denominational church buildings where the gospel would be preached, even though different from what is accurate, because there were less spirits there, he said, evil spirits like dance halls and where they had all kinds of conventions and things. So we went to church on our way home. Ten years old, in 1951, I attended two William Branham services in Erie, Pennsylvania, in the Armory Auditorium. My parents, well, on Friday, it was Friday and Saturday. Friday, July 27, he preached on the Church of the Living God. On Saturday, the 20, July 28, he preached on three witnesses. And my parents, grandmother, and some others took me there and told me, you know, we're going to church there. And I said, yeah, I want to go. Well, I was 10 years old in 1951. There was no thought uh, William Branham is fulfilling all those scriptures and that the word is being revealed, or later he's going to be used to open the seven seals. He was another, I say this respectfully, the world was thinking of him, the religious world, just another pebble on the beach, just another evangelist. And he was doing the work of an evangelist. I was 10, Billy Paul was 16 years old. He called Billy Paul up to the platform and showed Billy Paul the sign that was in his left hand as the people would come across the platform. And it would change, as you're well aware of how that would be. 
And that was the first time that Brother Billy had seen that. And he was 16 in that service. There was no revelation given at that time to any to me or my parent or parents or to anyone in the church or anyone else that I knew of his ministry and prophetically of what it would be. Prior to William Branham speaking, Brother Jack Moore took an offering and pledges. Uh, that's how they did that many times back then, is they would have a pledges. And so they took pledges, uh, Brother Jack Moore did, and I, I raised my hand to give $100. I had a paper route at that age, and, you know, a little money here and there, maybe you get a little, kids get some cash here and there. So then I did, and then I asked my mother to help me, went down to the bank and filled out a, a bank draft, uh, to send that down, but I first called Jack Moore, and I asked him why it must be made out to him, because this was Brother Branham's meeting. He said, well, that's just the way we do it, to cover the expenses of the, of the events. So I did, made it out to Brother Jack. From 1951 to 1969, about 18 years, I never heard of William Branham again for that period of time. And that's amazing because I'm going to an Assembly of God church. I went to an Assembly of God Bible college. They're not talking about William Branham through the early 60s. <coughs> Just a lot of involvement I had with that denomination and fellowship. But God hid it from my eyes. I remember a statement Brother Branham made that God is as good in hiding himself as he is in revealing himself. Isn't that amazing? God was hiding it from the Apostle Paul. I don't know if he was at any meetings to hear Jesus, but he heard the testimonies from those he was trying to kill. And he heard that, but no revelation was coming until his ride to Damascus. Then things turned all around for him, and God certainly used all that he had received from the Old Testament law. That just didn't all disappear. God used that. But God gave it to Paul with a different correctness than what the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Herodians, and scribes, and lawyers, and all those different denominations of that day were doing. <coughs> So God hid it from me. He had heard it, hid it from my knowing completely. And um, the key was from my childhood, early consecration and dedication of life to Jesus Christ. Every day in every way. Now here you're coming up under the fullness of the word. Hopefully your parents... The fullness of the word. It's being preached. The fullness of the word. <coughs> That's wonderful. Hallelujah. Not once since my childhood, through my teen years, and my entire life before I heard this message, and after I heard this message, have I even thought to leave or change or seek something else out. It's 
Never once. And I say that honestly as a child, as a teenager, nothing was taking me away from the Word of God and what I knew it to be at that time. (coughs) At school, all through high school, I carried my Bible on top of my textbooks. No, I'm not doing that to be smart or just I'd have a story because I've never done this before. I never told this story before like this. Uh, That's just me. I just carried my Bible on top of all my books to school. It was a school with over 800 students. All the students called me Rev, short for reverend. And they asked me to conduct the daily school devotions over the school public address system each morning, including Bible reading from where I wanted to read and uh, saluting of the American flag and the Lord's Prayer. Then I wanted to play trumpet. I had braces on. You know what they are. They get in the way of everything in there. But I had braces, uh, orthodontal work. And uh, I went to see the band leader, and he said, oh, no, no, you can't do that. Now, maybe you could do uh, the bass. You know, like boom, 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 boom. That would look good for a special in church, wouldn't it? So I said, no, I want to play trumpet. So that was no. So about six months or eight months later, I went to see him again. He, he said, no. I said, well, I already bought a, an inexpensive uh, coronet here, a trumpet. What? I think it was a trumpet. And um, he said, well, we'll try it and see if it works out. So with the braces, I was successful. The Lord helped me, and I played the trumpet. I could play it for the Lord. And, and I told the director... I said, now, in being in the band, being in the concert band and the marching band, I will not play rock and roll, and I will not play for any dancing of, of the girls. He said, well, that's fine. Oh, that's fine. I said, okay. So then I did my uh, practicing and was part of the band. I, I came in at uh, first cornet, third chair, which upset some of the other players. Um, and we were playing in the first year in the high school concert orchestra and marching band, and then we had a practice for the field band, you know, for football season. So we're out there, and we start marching. I don't know, I, I might have told you this to some of you, And uh, they started marching. We all lined up, and and I was playing the music right along. And then we stopped, and and then I noticed these girls, they're going to dance. They're going to dance, and then we're supposed to keep playing. Well, I tucked it under my arm, and I just marched in in place there, you know. And Mr. Mackey, he looks out, and he says, Mr. Andes? Why aren't you playing? I said, Mr. Mackey, you know why I'm not playing. He said, we are going to go back and start again, and you are going to play. So we went back and started out, and I played. And we got up there where the girls started dancing, and I stopped, put it under my arm again. Just, Just marching in step. He said, Mr. Andes... We are going to start one more time, and you are going to play. He was from Finland. He had never been married. (coughs) 
And we went back and we started again and we got up to that part. I played, got up to that part and, and the girl started dancing and put it under my arm. He said, out, and I, I just really can't do the theatrics and the gymnastics of how he did it. He went around in circles saying, out, 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 out. Oh, okay. Oh, he was making his point, but I'd made mine. So I walked off the field. Didn't bother me a speck. Not a speck. I was playing it in church, see? So I walked off the field, and when I did, right by the wall there were two girls from, from my church. And they just seen me. I said, hi. And I just walked on. But during those years... You know, sometimes there's a difference. There may be a difference in this church right here. Some young people are doing such and such, and others young, young people say, well, we don't do that. So I didn't do any mixed bathing with the kids. We didn't do any dancing. You know, we had a standard, and they were attending the same church. But I was taking it, this is how God was leading me. And when the word of God comes in this hour, it's not the consensus of, well, everybody's doing it. Must be all right. Well, the deacon's wife's doing it. And you know, this preacher's wife, you know, you know how it goes. Someone to point at and say, well, if, if they can do it, I can do it too. That doesn't mean you're going to take the rapture. You're going to have to stay with the word of God. And the preachers don't get it any different than you do. They get it from the messages of God's prophet. That's how they get it. And that's how you judge it to see if they're saying the truth or not. You're listening to the same messages. And so when another family says this, that, and the other, you're hearing the prophet. You know what God has said in this age. And you're adorning your home and living a godly life in that manner. One Saturday evening... When I was in the 10th grade, I rode my bike to church uh, for orchestra practice. Um, yeah, that was a Saturday night. So I rode my bike. I was in the 10th grade, and I went and had the practice at, at the church. And then on the way back, a couple blocks away, there was a railroad track that went through town. And so I, I got to the railroad track, and I looked down, and there were three bums, or hobos, however you want to call them, and they were down there just, you know, having their party. And uh, so I parked my bike, and I walked down to them and was witnessing to them. I did that a lot. Just on the fly, stop and talk to people. I was just a teenager. You know, that was my thing. And that was the thing of some of my friends in the church. We did it together. So um, I was down there talking to them. I won't take the time to tell you what we talked about and everything that come up. And then another one came. He had, he had this bottle all in the bag. You know how they are and twisted at the, the neck there. And, and I'm witnessing to him. He says, well, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I just looked at him. He takes the bottle and hits it over one of the rails. Bam, there it goes. And um, about that time... I see my father coming from the direction where my bike was. 
So he parked his bike or car, I can't remember which now, uh, he had, and then he come in and asked me to come with him. So I went with him. And then we went home. And at home, my parents spoke strong to me about the dangers of doing that and said that I needed to be punished (coughs) because they told me about homosexuality. They told me about they could kill me. You know, they could do all these bad things. There's three or four of them, and here's their only son. So they're doing the right thing, aren't they? They're really telling me to be careful. This, this, don't, you can't do that again. So they said that I could not attend youth meetings for a month. And I said, you want me to be good. Why are you cutting out my church attendance? See, that didn't add up to me. My mother said, because there is nothing else that we can punish you with. All you do is go to church. <laughs> and I don't remember that they ever enforced that. I think I, I still went to the church, to the services. And they said that I, in that, when I was 16 years old, I started preaching in church, just at the youth meetings then, and a little from the pulpit, and organized street meetings on the side. I like doing the street meetings. My, my first year, my first summer after Bible college, then I went upstate New York and we were on the street things. And so I've got some history on that. We won't take the time for street meetings on that. That's when you could have street meetings. Now, many times it's allowed, but nobody will stop. You know, they just keep on going. But back then, if there was singing and accordion going and someone was preaching, there was enough respects for the Bible and the Word of God then that they would gather around and and listen on that. Uh, In high school, I organized a Youth for Christ club in the high school. I spoke in other high schools in Ohio and Pennsylvania at the Youth for Christ clubs. I organized uh, in, in the high school prayer meetings at lunchtime. We would meet at my home church about a half a mile away. And so many of them would come. We'd go to the prayer meeting. And then we had this once a week where we had this Youth for Christ club. And we'd have sword drills and things like that, read the Bible, you know. It was pretty good. I graduated at 17 in 1959 and went to the Assembly of God Bible College near Philadelphia, PA. After graduating, I said that they did not add anything to me. And I said that respectfully, because I had heard so many preachers and checking it with the word. Then when I went to their college and they had all this, that and the other to say, yeah, yeah, through Greek, through Hebrew, just all the bells and whistles. It didn't add anything to me spiritually. And that that's my testimony, a result from that three years and four. And there I met my wife, Joyce, and we married in 1962. Still only 20 years old, I began pastoring our first church in Alliance, Ohio. 
We moved to South Bend, Indiana in 1965 for further ministry. As an ordained minister, I continued ministering in churches within 19 different denominations. In July 1969, I first heard this holy message of God. After nine, month, after nine months of searching for the truth of the Godhead and water baptism, God answered a simple prayer of mine in Chicago. I prayed, Lord, have mercy on me. Don't let me come out of something that's wrong and go into something else that is wrong. What are you doing on the face of the earth that's right? I left that employment, returned everything, went back to my home, to my home in New South Bend, Indiana. And the third day, that was a Wednesday morning early, and Friday we returned everything. So on Saturday morning, I get a phone call from a minister of this message, two blocks from my home. And I had told a friend of mine in, a, in one of the Assembly of God churches, I said, I was in this throw of, you know, what, what's right with this water baptism and the Godhead, what, what is the real substance and answer for this? And he says, well, I don't know. He said, he said How you, what are you going to do, Brother Andes? I said, you see that telephone on the wall in my home? I said, God, can, he's bigger than me. He can call me on that telephone. And that was the telephone three days after I prayed that, that the phone rang and the minister across the street that I had talked to a few months before, but he never told me about the message. He said, would you like to come over? I have another brother here. We can talk about the scriptures. I said, sure. So I went over and for five hours they shared this message with him. The first time that it fell on my ear... Wasn't that wonderful? Yeah. I looked at this message. I searched it out. And there was a lot of things that I did to make sure in my heart this was the absolute. And at the end, I took five weeks for that. <clears throat> I was a busy boy then doing that. And at the end of five weeks, I came to one conclusion. That God had sent a biblical promised prophet in this end time. And he was vindicated. And anything contrary to what he said is a lie. And in simplicity, that's still my position tonight. That's how infallible it is. It's an individual. It's a little boy. When I think of Brother Bisco, and now I don't want to embarrass him, Many times when I think of you, Brother Ed, I think of a, about a seven-year-old boy. My mind goes back, and I don't know why. It goes back in my mind to a young boy about seven. If he's in God's will now, he was God's chosen seed when he was seven, too. And so when I was a small boy, God was dealing with me. And you keep holding on to the word. <clears throat> you don't give in to Satan for anything. Anything contrary to the Bible, anything contrary to the message of this end time is a lie. And that's the only way that you can sustain your families. 
and raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And it's the only way that children here in our church and teenagers can survive. You're not in this for a few years and then go do something else. This is it. This is your life. This is the very substance of God, of heaven, that's come down in human forms and first in his prophet. Only one like him. There is no other prophet coming. There's nothing different. Someone says, well, I think he was wrong in this. And then they leave. And I simply say to them, I say, if he's wrong in that, then you're going to have to throw away everything prophet William Branham said. That's right. If it's an heir here and an heir there and it's wrong here and wrong there, then you throw the whole thing out and you come back with two choices. Number one, is it promised in the Bible that he would send a prophet? Yes or no? If it is promised and you feel, oh yeah, there's one to come, then the question is, who is he? And when will he appear? But Satan, if he can just get a beachhead, if he can just get a little doubt, someone to disbelieve for some reason. Most of the reasons why people leave this pure message, if I was to deal with the points that they've left it over and are contentious with, I could deal with each of those. They don't hold up. They don't hold up. But I'm clearly taught in the scriptures that those that fuss about this, that, and the other, not to be involved with them. Because there's no profit in that spiritually. They're just arguing, just for argument's sake. I fully believe this message. I love the Lord so much. I'm thankful. I don't regret serving the Lord or giving up anything. Whatever we have done and you have done for the Lord Jesus, it's the least. It means so little. We have a destination. We're on our way home. We're going to escape the burning of this world. Be sure of one thing. Something is right. Something is true. Now who has the truth on it? So God comes down, fulfills Bible prophecy, and says, this is the man. Oh, he's from Kentucky. You know, you know, get a hundred different reasons why he couldn't be the one. I haven't found one to disclaim that. He is God's prophet. Vindicated. And children, let's say... Let's say the children are raised in a home and they don't believe this message, the parents. Maybe the parents don't believe it fully or maybe they're living in sin, the parents. Now, what are the children to do? I would admonish you children, if you're in a home where dad's doing the wrong thing and mom's doing the wrong thing or either one or the other, you can serve God. Well, what about that scripture, Brother Andes, that says, obey your parents in the Lord? Obey your parents. But when it comes to this message, 
that is the revelation and the, uh, the reflection of the full, perfect word of God. You do not have to obey that. They say, oh, you can't go to church. Well, you can go to church. Because this, the message of the hour says you can go to church. Well, you have to cut your hair. Well, they want to cut my hair if I was a girl. But God's word says not to cut my hair. Now, you see people argue, how long is too long and so forth? It's down to my ankles. Can I cut it? You know, and down to my waist. Or let's just block it off, you know, so it'll look a little better. There's no provision for that. None. It doesn't matter how long the woman's hair is. There's some tribes in Africa, and they don't grow very long. The hair doesn't grow out very far. But the clear-cut word of God is, don't cut it. You don't cut it to make it more even or this, that, or the other. Well, I'll trim it because it's got split ends. And they told me if I cut it, then it'll grow faster. It'll grow better. I've known of women, girls, that have burnt the ends of their hair, singed it. Oh, it got burnt, really. See, if you're going to serve God, you just do it wholeheartedly. Don't cut. They had a song years ago. Girls don't cut your hair. You're doing mighty wrong. You've heard that before? Well, we won't sing that tonight, but there is one. (laughs) Girls don't cut your hair. You're doing mighty wrong. Amen. So it's things like that. If an honest heart comes before God and his word, the message of the hour, and they look at it. I used to get... I answered many hundred of questions from people overseas when I was with Spoken Word Publications and then also with Voice of God Recording. I mean, they'd have question about every subject that a pastor with. You know, you get bombarded with this, 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 this. Many of them didn't have a pastor. So how do you answer that? So I guess Spoken Word Publication is where I got huge amounts on every subject. You know, should the women... Paint their nails and their toes. And that seems to be creeping in now. Now, it used to be said, well, it's clear polish. It's, it's okay. It's just because I don't want to break them or something. Then pretty soon it was pink. Then it was dark pink. There's over a million shades and hues in the color spectrum, you know. One million. So you can etch it in, etch it in, etch it in. But Brother Branham didn't put a color on it. He didn't say, well, if it's really bright, bright red, don't wear that. But you see, that's just one subject. It goes to everything that a man or a woman would want to know about their body and about the keeping of their house. Where should I work? Is it okay for a woman to work? And just on and on like that. And so the message of the hour has the answer. If we just slow down an intent and just find what the word says. Because God's not going to change his idea about it. He's not going to change. You know, and you might say, well, I'll change churches. I know a church over there that they do that. Even the pastor's wife, you know. 
And, and I ran into that. There were ministers' wives years ago, and they were just getting away with doing this and doing that. And, of course, everybody wanted to be okay with God, so they would be like the pastor's wife. I won't name, but throughout America and in Canada, there were different ones, ministers like that. I had a song I wanted to sing tonight, but <clears throat> I don't think, but we didn't have it in our book. <laughs> it's an old one. It says, it pays to serve Jesus. It pays every day. It pays every step of the way. You've probably heard that before, haven't you? And I have it at home. I just didn't bring it with me. I thought, oh, yeah, it'll be in our book. Um, but we do have another song. I'm following Jesus. The sister can come, the instrument players and so forth. <clears throat> so there's another song. I'm following Jesus each step of the way. And that's why we're here tonight. We're wanting to follow Jesus. Each step of the way. And we don't know what is our last step. We have no guarantee of it. You know, the Lord may tarry another few hundred years. Brother Brown said that. He could come tonight. He said, I'm expecting him to come. He could come tonight or in the morning. Or he could come a year from now. Or... 20 years from now, one place he says, or 100 years from now, you got one quote, 500 years. That's heavy. But I've already been through all that school. I had one minister friend in, uh, well, you probably know who he is if I tell you where he's from. Uh, a minister friend, and every, every year, January, he'd have a new date for the Lord's coming. Every year. And he had a following around too here and overseas. So he had that date down and every year he was wrong. Because he hasn't come yet. I had one minister come from, uh, he was down in, uh, I think he was in Missouri. And he had, uh, he, he had a, a few people. And so he came and he come through uh, Spoken Word Publication, and I gave tours and things like that. And anyway, I was there. And so he said uh, he had this information that God was going to come. God revealed it to him, that he was going to come by a certain, certain date the next year. So, you know, I just listened. And then it came, and, and it went, but Jesus didn't come. But he added this when he told me about it. He said... If it doesn't come to pass, you can call me a false prophet. Well, I remembered that part, too. <laughs> so I was with him. He came through to take another tour and see everybody, get some coffee and cookies, you know, stuff like that. So I said, you remember you talked to me over a year ago and you said that the Lord was going to come at a certain, certain time? He said, yeah, I do. I said, you also told me that if it didn't come to pass, you would be a false prophet. I said, brother, you are a false prophet. <laughs> out of his own words, out of his own mouth. <clears throat> so Jesus may come tonight or in the morning, and there's all 
you know, there's all reasoning why he can't come tonight. He's got to be in the morning. And then there's reasons why it can't be tomorrow and the resurrection can't sit in. If the prophet said he could come tonight, over everything he had said, I believe he can come tonight. We're not trying to reason this all out in a way. We want to take it and move easy along, believing every word, no unbelief anywhere. <coughs> and God will see us through. Let's stand together. The goodness of the Lord. Let's sing this before we close in prayer. I'm following Jesus one step at a time. I live for the moment in his love divine. Why think of tomorrow? Just live for today. I'm following Just wonderful to serve our Lord, isn't it? And then, like Mary had certain things that she pondered. When the angel came and she pondered it. When all the babies were killed, she pondered it. I'm sure when Jesus was teaching the scribes and the teachers of the synagogue, that she pondered that. And he went home and was subject unto them and grew. But there'll be things in your life. A little thing happened here, happened there. A special service. You've got to make it personal, child, teenager, adult. You've got to get involved with the Holy Ghost moving in your life. And you find a place to pray. Oh, church is over, is it? You have a meeting with the Lord somewhere. Before you go to bed, maybe. Some way you're going to have to get with him. I've spent many evenings when I was a teenager, when I was in high school. We'd go to the camps, and there were long meetings. 
Brother Bisco probably remembers the long, long meetings. Those were long meetings. And God was in it. But it was between God and me. It was between the individual and God. When I go to a, a Christian Pentecostal camp. And they had the boys and that weren't interested in spiritual things. They had the girls the same. You see that. You can see the way they respond to the word and what they do afterwards and so forth. But for many hours I would linger. And things that are said special to your life, it's a nugget. You put it into your heart and life goes on, but it holds you. God's word has held me. I remember I went to the July meeting. We was having a, a July service in Big Prairie, Ohio, big camp. And it was just packed. In this particular meeting, which I rarely sat in the back, I sat about six rows from the back, and then the aisle, and then six rows. And they sang a song which I want to sing right now before we go, and that is, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. It's been a favorite of mine since that day. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And there came a message in tongues. And someone about six people, persons from me, there were adults there too. This wasn't just the 4th of July. It was adults as well. But six people from me uh, interpreted that. And just a few words of it was that submit your life to me Consecrate yourself, and I will break it and multiply it into millions. I took that personal. And I hope everyone else there did too. Many, many things like that I've, I've seen down through my years. And I won't take the time uh, to, to speak those. Some prophecies and different things, and I just hid it in my heart. I didn't think, oh, yeah, this is the big deal. This is what God's going to do. I just hid it in my heart. But that's you and the Lord personally. Then when you see it come to pass, and you see it multiply, and you see what God's doing with you in your life, then that's a wonderful thing. And then you're a child. Then you become a teenager, and you're strong for the Lord. Then you get married. very critical time in your life you're going to be married and then you'll have children and then you will raise them and then you realize that your parents in disciplining you as well as me that they were right I did need to be disciplined all of us can't live a life without discipline so take those as nuggets when you get away with the Lord after a service and you're praying and you're lingering and take it just you and the Lord alone. Find a place when you leave, you drive away from here. Stop somewhere, get somewhere so it's personal with you. It's you and God. Remember Brother Branham saying that meetings like this will just be a fond memory someday? Well, including him with us, it has become a fond memory. But what about meetings like this? Each of us, if we respond to the Lord Jesus and to his word, he wants to establish you. 
He wants to strengthen you. He wants to do wonderful things through your lives. Think of a housewife, wonderful position. I think it's the most admirable, admirable position of employment in, on planet Earth is a house, excuse me, a homemaker that has children and she stays home with the children. Do you realize if you're a homemaker that you are raising sons and daughters, daughters to marry sons of God? You are raising sons that will be deacons, will be ministers, that will go out and choose a wife that's just like you, mother. That's a high position. It's not to be cast down and overrun said, oh, yeah, I got to get to college right away. Well, let's not forget about the importance of raising children before the Lord and having them serve God and respond in the gifts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, and the faith of the Spirit. I like Paul said concerning the Holy Spirit, he said that it's the Spirit of holiness. Spirit of holiness. And when God chose a, an ad, adjective to modify him, a spirit, God is a spirit, it was Holy Spirit. That's not without purpose. Holiness is the main, I would say, the main essence of heaven. Holiness. Paul calls it the spirit of holiness. He's holy. Let us bow our heads in prayer before we sing that. Heavenly Father, you love us. You care for us. You brought us here tonight over many, many years of walking with you. And Lord, these men and women, children and teenagers, Lord, if you would tarry, we have more miles and more years if you would tarry to serve you acceptably. I pray, God, you'll burn upon our souls the intent and importance of serving you with all of our heart, all of our strength, all of our mind, and all of our body, and all of our being, Lord. May it be so that you would bring from this congregation elect sons and daughters to the eternal position of life with you without end. In Jesus Christ's name we ask this. Heal the sick that are represented here our loved ones that we're praying for the people that are sick lord they there might be somebody that's even uh mentally slow feeble-minded the scripture says we pray that you'll sweep over us that we can minister one to the other and pray one for the other may there come a reviving of that which is weak and and maybe dying but revive us again, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Bless every home, every mother and father and child. In Jesus Christ's name, bless the Pastor Bisco, the associate ministers. We pray that you'll go before us all the way and guide us in your perfect will. In Jesus Christ's name we ask this. Amen. Turn your eyes upon Jesus look for